What's happening guys? This is Logan from Here the Sphere presented by Noel Game Day. We are here with a big podcast this weekend. Uh, sorry for being a day late. We had some unexpected things happen last night, so we want to get this out as soon as possible. Uh, Ryan will not be with us tonight, and we're not really sad about it, and I hope that you <laughs> listening aren't going to be too sad about it, and I don't blame you if you're not. Uh, but I got my man, our lead writer, Dustin Lewis, with us tonight on this beautiful Friday night here in Tallahassee. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, guys? You know, ready to talk about the end of Florida State season and then moving on to some basketball. Yeah, more like wanting to move towards basketball talk as soon as possible. <laughs> after uh, after a pretty interesting season for Florida State, uh, Willie Taggart uh, is going to finish the season going five and seven, three and five in conference play. Um, not really uh, what a lot of Florida State fans expected, at least with the talent they have. Uh, what they had coming in with, and that just kind of starts a discussion. You know, we're going to recap the UF game, uh, and we can go on and start doing that now. We can start looking into the future for Willie Taggart. But um, Florida State uh, couldn't last uh, really that long with Florida. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that to start the season whatsoever. Uh, Florida State fell forty-one to fourteen inside Doak Campbell Stadium. There was a lot of a lot of hype after uh, the upset against Boston College the weekend before, and so that led into a lot of Knowles uh, thinking that Florida State would have a chance to upset the Gators in a kindly fashion, but that wasn't the case. What, what were your first thought? What were your thoughts like during the game, but of course afterwards, Dustin? <clears throat> I mean, I really thought from the beginning, Florida State's offensive line looked um, completely overmatched against the, the Gators' defense. And I mean, I, with the the score being, I think it was thirteen to seven at half, if if I'm correct. I was I was pretty surprised that Florida State kept it that close with with how bad they were playing on offense. I mean, they put together um, a nice drive in the third quarter where DeAndre ran in a touchdown, which is something that. You know, it's like seeing a freaking unicorn, dude. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Well, the thing is, too, to kind of note on that, I'm sure you'll get to it. But the run that DeAndre Francois made in the fourth quarter and late uh, part of the game, that run, where in the I tweeted, where in the hell was that run for the earlier part of the season? Like, what happened there? <laughs> it's, it's just shocks me sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, that's just that's one of those things that makes you question, like, would this offense be better if they had a quarterback that was running it correctly, you know, even despite the offensive line's flaws? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it was it was a rough game, definitely, for some of the, the seniors going out. Uh, a lot of players that had played a lot of snaps the last couple of years. Uh, we can note definitely Jack Patrick. We saw him tearing up after leaving the game. Uh, that's a guy that was a big leader uh, as a young guy and will leave uh, Florida State with most likely will have a chance in the NFL, and I'm excited for him. I kind of think of him getting a chance like Carlos Williams did with the Bills, um, which Carlos... Can I, sh- I say something on Patrick real quick? Go ahead. I think that he's probably one of the most underrated players that has ever played at Florida State. Because yeah. you know those first those first two years, he sits behind Dalvin Cook. <clears throat> As a junior, it finally looks like he's about to start, and then Cam Akers comes in, and you know he stole the show in the second half of last year, and and uh, got the bulk of the carries this year. So, you know it sucks. It it really sucks that uh, Quez never got his time in Tallahassee, and you know I hope he'll be able to produce more at the next level. I, th- I think he will. I think he's got the talent too. And he went from, you know, being a, a runner that was a little light footed and wouldn't want to run straight at the defenders and use his size um, as a good aspect to get some extra yards. But that changed um, the next year. And we saw that, of course, this year um, play a huge, huge advantage on third downs for Florida State and kind of took some, took a toll off of Cam Akers when it was needed and, Jack Patrick looked like he was the starting quarterback after a couple of the first quarters 
through this season. So I'm I'm definitely uh, sad to see him go, but I'm definitely excited to see him in the NFL with a pretty decent uh, offensive line <laughs> play. You know, a better de- offensive line play um, that the NFL will offer. Uh, let's note a couple other ones. Uh, we're just going to note some seniors that. Um, might play a significant role, you know, leaving uh, what it would affect Florida State with. But uh, we'll start with center Alec Eberly. Uh, then we'll move over to Nooney Murray, um, A.J. Westbrook, which I don't think Florida State fans are going to be absolutely um, devastated with him leaving. It was just a rough ending to his career at Florida State. Um, and then you go to a senior defensive lineman, Demarcus Christmas. He announced he wanted to stay um, last year after that season. And then we'll go to Walensky Imey, defensive end. Didn't see much production from him um, this season. Uh, so you got to hope they'll have a good pro day and you know try to get some kind of pickup from an NFL team moving yeah, forward. Yeah, so far it... it- Really doesn't seem like his uh, his move to slim down. I think it was at least twenty pounds. So he yeah. slimmed down to uh, play defensive end, and yeah, just it really didn't work out. No, it didn't. You can we'll look at replacing these guys immediately. Alec Eberly can be replaced with right now, uh, Baby on Johnson, uh, and then you can go to Nooney Murray, wide receiver who. I predicted during the spring to have a pretty solid season, and he he did. Uh, he was right there one and two at Tamara on Terry, but uh, I think Nooney Murray leaving uh, helps Florida State, uh, brings in a lot of young talent to come in and put in work, uh, and you can replace Nooney Murray with a lot of the talent behind uh, the, at that depth. Um, and Demarcus Christmas, there's you still got talent behind there. I still thought. You know, you can kind of almost replace him, of course, with Robert Cooper in some capacity. Uh, I thought throughout the season when he got when he subbed in, he's obviously got to do a lot more conditioning, and it seemed like he got worn out after a while. But you got to like the way that the opposing offensive linemen were double teaming him in mo- multiple games, giving other guys chances like Marvin Wilson to the side of him. Um, and yeah, and another guy I'm kind of excited to see step into a bigger role is is uh, Corey Durden. And I think, you know, with Christmas moving on, he's definitely going to see an uptick in playing time next season alongside Marvin Wilson. Yeah, that is true. Corey Durden will be back. We saw a big outburst from him this season. Uh, was kind of uh, not definitely not talked a lot before the season started. But we kind of we talked about that at the preview in the Virginia Tech game, we said there's going to be some guys that we don't even think about uh, that will play a big factor. Um, and, you know, that was – Corey Durden was one of those guys. So, definitely, it's not – Florida State's not at all losing uh, – going to lose any lead way going into the season with having these guys move on from Florida State. But, yeah, Florida State did lose their 36-year-long 30, bowl streak – and it sucks that it had to be against the Florida Gators. And I'm wondering, and there's a lot of Florida recruits there, state Florida recruits there, um, that witnessed that game, uh, got to see Kodak Black, rapper Kodak Black, on the sideline <laughs> celebrating with the Gators. Uh, and I'm just wondering how much do you think that will affect the recruiting moving on, definitely in Florida. I don't. I don't think it's going to change much because you know, out of the, out of the big three in Florida, <clears throat> Florida State, uh, Florida, and Miami, I really do think that Willie Taggart is the uh, the most likable out of that bunch. Recruits connect with him extremely well, and you know, even even despite the loss to to Florida, there was still a lot of positive feedback from recruits, and you know, kind of the main selling point right now is. The, the 2019 class can come in and, and be the one that helps turn Florida State around along with, you know, helping Willie Taggart keep his job and staying in Tallahassee. Yeah, I definitely agree that Willie Taggart can keep Florida State's head on straight moving forward on, on the recruiting trail. Uh, he's able to build good relationships with uh, the players and also with the family members and, you know, with them being down from 
being from Tampa down south, it helps a little bit in that regard too, I think. But I kind of want to go over, I know you've got them written down. Uh, we like to go over the S&P Plus uh, ranking, or at least Ryan does, to give our listeners a little bit more analysis towards how the games went. Uh, but now we'll recap the whole season in the rankings and go through how, uh, I was going to say positively, but uh, it's going to be more poorly through this season. What what rankings kind of show out to you the most, or do you want to just go through them? Well, I mean, yeah, to, to start off, just kind of looking at the, the final overall rankings as well as um, offensive defense, it just it just goes to show – you know, how poorly this Florida State, Florida State team played uh, all season. Uh, overall, they're ranked 84th offense, a whopping 107. Remember, there's only 130 FBS teams in the country. Mm. Defense, 41, and then special teams, 95. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone predicted Florida State would go 5-7 and seven this season. And not even not even considering like how bad they actually played, like I don't know. This yeah. typically a team that played this bad wouldn't be a five win team. It's just they had they have a lot of talent and they were able to, you know, pull out a couple close wins like down in Louisville, obviously the, the Boston College game. So but they lost a couple close ones too. Yeah, they did. I'm looking at the rankings now for the offensive rushing, and they were ranked 111th in the country. And, of course, you got to look straight to the blame of the offensive line, which we are expecting and should expect to see a major haul and change at that front line. Um, That's how they, they were. They were 111th, and then we'll go... I mean, the de- the defense still, without having much of a linebacker core as it was, finished 30th in the country in, a country in rushing defense. And something I looked at, let's see, we talked about this in the meeting before we started recording. Uh, your leading tackler after the season was your safety, Hamza Nazareldean, with 68 tackles. Uh, and then it goes linebacker, Dontavius Jackson with 60. And then it goes down to an, two DBs, Westbrook and Samuels. So that shows a lot about how your defense and linebacker core was so poorly. There's a lot of DBs that were having to make tackles um, five, ten yards um, after the play, which is definitely a big problem. Let's yeah, see. and I mean, just just overall, like the defense all season really, really got shredded in the in the passing game, and then you know the last the last couple games, it really felt like the run defense couldn't get a stop when they needed to. So just all season, do you think that? Do you think, which I think it does, but do you think that the offense? not being able to perform much and have any production affects how that defense plays. I mean, there are games, though, that we can look back on that the defense didn't show up whatsoever uh, during games. We can look at the NC State game as an example. But do you think them not having enough rest and look at assignments on the sideline? Um, Absolutely. I think I think it has to be ex- extremely frustrating. You know, if you're that defense and you go out on the field, you get – however many stops in a row and then the offense comes out there and it's three four play drives and they're putting the ball back and you're right back out there you know so you lose you lose your wind really quick in that scenario it's kind of like the the first game of the season i kind of remember that happening was the the syracuse game where florida state kept it kept it close at halftime and then the second half the defense just fell apart because they'd been on the field so much against a high power high powered offense that's going up and down the field you know with a quick tempo just like Florida State wants to do. So Florida State's got to turn everything around and become the team that's doing that. Yes, I agree. Um, let's look at DeAndre Francois starting quarterback his stats after the season. Uh, he he completed 227 passes out of 390 six 
He finished the season with 2,731 passing yards. Uh, his ratio for tor- uh, touchdowns and interceptions was at 15 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. The completion rate of 57.3%. What was your... What was your analysis? What would be your analysis for a season recap for DeAndre Francois well, after coming through a brutal, coming after a brutal uh, injury against Alabama to start the season last year? Uh, do you think that played a really big toll on his performance this season? Yeah, I mean, either either he didn't want to run the offense or he's mentally not back yet. And I can't see a coach putting a quarterback out there that you know is refusing to do what the system needs to do to have success on the field. So, you know, he's got to, he's got to have some mental things. I, I do think that, you know, he's healthy, he's recovered from the injury, but sometimes that, that mental aspect can take, you know, a long time to get, to get out of your head and just, you know, you, and you're focusing on not getting hurt rather than going out there and having, having success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see what, uh, I'm trying to think here. We uh, we saw James Blackman come in a few times during the season. We saw him play against Miami just one snap with a completion, I believe, to Nooney Murray that was short for a first down. And then, of course, we saw him come in at the NC State game and play uh, and looked rather uh, looked rather enticing to Florida State fans when they saw the offense being able to uh, do some things. But then we saw the defense not uh, show up during then. Did you think? And I know we recapped the game, but we can talk about it again. Do you think James Blackman would have given Florida State a better chance to keep this bull streak alive? I mean, I think if James Blackman had, had played in all 12 games and been the starter, that Florida State would definitely be at least 6-6. Six and six. Like, I don't think they would have uh, collapsed in the second half against Miami if Blackman was leading them. And then, you know, most of the other losses were kind of blowouts, but maybe it would have been closer where Florida State would have had a shot if Blackman was back there. The the one game where we really got to see him, you know, take the majority of the steps, snaps was the NC State game, and he led the offense to 28 points. He had a great game through, I think it was four touchdown passes, if I'm correct. I, and just, four, I think it was four touchdown passes and 421 yards passing. I might be wrong on that, but it was definitely 400-yard. It was the best game by a Florida State quarterback all season. Mm-hmm. And then the next week, it's it's back to the bench. So, I mean, we really don't know, you know, what's going on with that scenario. But the only thing that makes sense for Blackman to have been on the bench for the majority of the season is if he's going to be the starter for the next two years because that's really – that's the only reason the redshirt would really matter. <laughs> yeah, there would have been some kind of agreement with Taggart after that game. Um, but you kind of start thinking, you kind of get desperate whenever you want to keep the ball streak and definitely at least go one and two against uh, against your two uh, rivals with Miami and Florida with already losing to Miami. You kind of get a little desperate there, but Tiger didn't want to go that route whatsoever uh, moving forward. Um, and we can move this on to, and we're going to get, don't worry guys, we're going to get to what we've heard so far about transfers, who's leaning towards staying here in a couple minutes. We just kind of want to go over at least some of the key aspects after the season that we think that really will be instrumental towards moving forward. Uh, but let's go to the right, running back uh, position here. Uh, Cam Akers uh, didn't have the year that uh, we thought he really would. And, of course, the offensive line play, you know, we'll always add that before we say anything. But K-Makers finished the season with 706 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, Jack was, Patrick was right below him at uh, 375 yards for one touchdown, which is absolutely shocking to me uh, for being a guy that I think should have been used a lot more in the goal line package. But Florida State didn't really find the goal, goal line a lot this season. Um, and then DeAndre Francois, and then Amir Rasul. But you also got to think, Florida State did lose uh, one of their key players, Kalen LeBorn, after we saw him play against Virginia Tech. We were like, whoa, this guy is actually uh, pretty damn impressive. I mean, if you watch film uh, in high school about him, you kind of know the talent that he can bring, and you kind of wonder how he would have been this season with 
you know, he's got he's got a different skill aspect to him uh, than Cam Akers. But from what I've heard in the last week, uh, he's back to running, uh, even sprinting now, and uh, it's a injury uh, to his knee that can actually it's it's a lot better to have than the ACL tear. Let's just say that. So it's good to see him. He should be fully ready, I would believe, um, during the offseason, definitely during the summer and hopefully the spring too. So, I mean, I, I'm wondering how that tandem would have been because you would have thought Kalen LeBorn uh, could bit potentially be one and two there with Cam Akers, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I really thought there was a chance that FSU could have a like a monster like a three-headed monster, basically, with Akers, LeBorn, and Patrick. I really thought at, at any time you could have an elite running back on the field that could do something that the other running back he had probably come in for couldn't do. I mean, they all had their, their different skill sets, and they could contribute in a variety of different ways. So for LeBorn to go down early in the season like that, it, it really hurt what Florida State wanted to do on the ground. And, you know, it – they couldn't do much anyway, but I think LeBorn would have been able to make some plays back there for sure. Let's move on to a little bit of the wide receiver statistics of things after the season. Wide receiver Nooney Murray finished the season with 85 targets, the most the most out of any wide receiver on the roster. He had 54 catches for 744 yards and three touchdowns. We go right below that to probably the most exciting part of the offense this year was with Tamarion Terry. He was targeted 73 times and had 35 catches for 744 yards, the same as Nooney Murray. The difference, though, you can tell a lot in is the touchdown numbers. Uh, Nooney had three and Tamarion Terry had eight. Uh, then below that is DJ Matthews, 382 yards for one touchdown. And then from there, it's just your kind of regular stats. You got Trey McKitty with one touchdown. And a, a few younger guys like Hayshawn uh, Helton getting some experience there in playing time. And then also Trey Sean Harrison gave you a little bit of a few highlight tapes um, during the season that you can look positively towards with a young talent. Uh, just give me a little bit of a recap on your take of how the wide receiver, wide receiver corp will look like going forward. Well, you know, with, with Nyquan Murray moving on, I really think that means uh, a guy like Keyshawn Heldon or Treshawn Harrison is going to step into that spot. And, you know, really, I, I don't think either of those receivers would have a problem replicating what, what Murray did this season. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't outstanding or anything. And I, I do think Helton and Harrison are both more explosive than, you know, some of the receivers Florida state currently has starting like, you know, Keith Gavin's getting reps. Um, George Campbell saw sporadic plan time throughout the season when he was healthy. So we need to, Florida state needs to uh, replace the veteran receivers with, with the young talent and, they really didn't do that very much this season. Tamori Terry got in there, redshirt freshman, but Helton and Harrison didn't see consistent playing time, even when they flashed in games. Like, they'd, they'd flash in one game, and the next game they'd barely play any snaps. I think that was evident in the uh, the NC State game yeah. because um, the game before, that was when Helton got the, the long touchdown, I believe, from um, Blackman. Yeah. And then the next game... I want to say they saw like eight combined snaps. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's the little things like that. It's really it's really the coaching. You have to get your talented playmakers on the field, regardless of whether they're freshmen or, or seniors. I mean, if you have a guy like Keith Gavin, a junior out there who's not really producing like a junior should, put the guy out there that you just saw catch a seventy-five yard touchdown in the last game. Give him yeah. a shot. <laughs> yeah, true. And this goes little things. Yeah, yeah, and it goes back to the NC State NC State game when Blackman was out there. Uh, his favorite targets were, uh, of course, Tamarion Terry. Uh, it went to DJ Matthews, and then it went to tight end Trey McKitty. And then you go to DeAndre Francois, and his favorite targets were Nooney Murray, senior uh, Keith Gavin, who's 
feels like he's been at Florida State for very, very long, but a junior, and then uh, I believe it'd be Tamara and Terry after that. So it's you just kind of look at where you want to play your cards with who you want to put in there as with the younger ta- talent moving forward. And we saw kind of flashes from these younger guys, and it's nice to see these younger guys getting played, playing time. We didn't get to see a lot of that with the Jimbo Fisher era. So it's, you know you can complain about it, um, but moving forward, I think Taggart has the right mindset for seeing where the talent really is on his roster. Let's uh, yeah. let's look at a little bit of the offensive line to finish off um, the recap here here and just save the best for last. Of course, uh, Florida State's offensive line has to have a full rehaul moving forward. The performance they showed during the season was catastrophic and embarrassing uh, for a Florida State team. Uh, this kind of could have started with Jimbo Fisher's recruiting with offensive line coach Rick Trickett. And I think Willie Taggart was given some guys that had no reason to be out there playing against some of these teams, at least in the ACC almost. <laughs> it was It was absolutely atrocious. Um, Coach Fry, or Coach Frey, however you want to say it, uh, still has a lot of work to do on that side of things, but he'll be given, of course, another chance, and they're going to try to recruit some big guys like Will Putman, uh, Florida State commit now, Dante Lucas, uh, going forward to try to build something new there at Florida State. And I just want to get your opinion on how moving forward Florida State can help this offense move a little bit better with bringing in some big cats even Juco guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's really the only way the offense is going to look better is if they bring in some some talented offensive linemen. I mean, you see what you have in your um, your cupboard, and it's it's not it didn't work this season. I mean, Juan Williams was probably the the biggest disappointment on that offensive line. Um, I did think when Brady Scott got in there, you know, he showed some potential. He's still only a redshirt freshman, but most of the players on that offensive line aren't aren't salvageable, frankly. And and there's a couple that are graduating, like um, Kelly and, and Arthur Williams. So, Florida State's really hitting the recruiting trail hard. And, you know, from what I've read and heard, they're trying to bring in as many as four JUCO offensive linemen and, you know, up to two grad transfers as well. And the grad transfers won't count against the, the recruiting scholarship limit, but they will count against the 85 – team scholarship limit and the juco prospects will will factor into the recruiting class yeah that's something that i'm sure fsu fans are keeping a close eye on and hopefully the staff and what we can tell now is that they're definitely doing so um, inside the program so we'll get to the nuggets notes now probably why everybody's listening um there's a lot to be talked about of course at the quarterback situation uh to start off with um some guys that are uh, you know you look at DeAndre Francois and think all right is this guy here to stay or is he know that James Blackman's got the keys to the uh whip moving forward and it seems to be that way from what I've heard uh he's definitely expected to either transfer or declare. We'll see. I'm sure he's keeping an eye on his draft stock right now. But that is expected as of right now for DeAndre Francois to leave Florida State. And James Blackman will have the keys to the whip moving forward from what I've heard inside is that the program wants to give definitely James Blackman a year, let Sam Howell learn a little bit, um, and give him time to grow. But yes, James Blackman moving forward will be the top leader if he already wasn't already the um, the biggest leader on that team. And it would be nice. And I'm happy for James Blackman uh, having that chance because I think he's absolutely uh, deserved it. What's your opinion on that? Um, first off, I think it's smart for, for Francois to, to look at another option rather than Florida State. I really don't think he's designed for this offense. He's more He's more of a pocket passer rather than a, a dual threat guy. I mean, his his first option is, is throwing the ball rather than running. So, you know, I think transferring to, to a different school would fit him well for for now and, you know, in the future 
for the um, 2020 NFL draft if he decides not to declare this year. But as for Blackman taking over, I, I definitely agree with the move. It's it's smart because it'll keep him here at Florida State. If Blackman was to transfer, Florida State would have Sam Howell as the only scholarship quarterback. I mean, right now it's Francois and Blackman, and then next year it's going to be Blackman and Howell. So Florida State's really going to – they're going to have to hit the recruiting trail again for a quarterback. I mean, you can't have two scholarship quarterbacks, especially if, if one just, you know, leaves it can leave at any given time. And then you're down to one guy. So I do think that'll be a, a hard sell as well for FSU on the recruiting trail, because you've got Howell like in the fold to, to be your future starter. So it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, FSU kind of navigates through that slim depth chart. The next guy, uh, that's big here on the notes, and this is what I've heard uh, since Wednesday, is that uh, starting defensive end Brian Burns is currently leaning towards staying at Florida State for his senior year. Uh, Florida State, uh, or Brian Burns, is actually in plenty of mock drafts as a first-rounder. Uh, CBS currently has him projected to go to the Cowboys at a selection at number 21, uh, Brian Burns is actually uh, kind of a little a nerd on the side. If you guys know him or read about him, uh, he's big on his education, and he's told multiple people inside the program that uh, he wants to earn his degree, and uh, he need he wants to. Uh, he's told multiple teammates this too. He doesn't like how the season ended. Um, I want to. Definitely keep an eye on it moving forward in these next few weeks just to see how he looks at the money side of things, of course. You know, first rounder, you're going to get paid a good amount of money. Um, so this is definitely uh, big news for Florida State moving forward if Brian Burns were to stay. Of course, I mean, Brian Burns, even before the season, we were already thinking he was a first-round project. So... Uh, it, it shocks it shocks me too. This is something we definitely need to keep our eye out on moving forward. Uh, but this is what I've heard, um, and it's a very reliable source. So, what what's your what's your first take on that? I'm sure a, a little shock is in there. Yeah, I mean the the fan in me, you know, is ecstatic to have, to have Brian Birds coming back. He was definitely a a terror off the edge of the season and. You know, another year in the weight room can't hurt his development, especially because he's going to still need to put on some weight for um, when he finally gets to the NFL level, if that's not this this offseason. But, um, you know, the business person in me says, Brian, you should just declare for the NFL draft. Take your guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. You know, help help your family out if, if they need it financially. And, you know, go on and have a long career in the NFL and, and make a – shit ton of money basically but you know i'm i'm all game for him coming back if he wants to have one more ride yeah and you look at the depth too that florida state currently has at defensive end and it could help in a large margin too you got janarius robinson over there you got a young guy xavier peters who didn't get a lot of playing time uh, this season too so brian burns coming back would help florida state uh, and of course, a lot of ways. I mean, it's a first-round guy uh, wanting to stay and play a few more or play another season. So we're going to keep an eye on that. But that's what we've heard, uh, and I'm interested to see how that plays out for him because I'm the same with you and thinking this man definitely needs to go and get paid. And it's hard. It's hard to look at someone who's projected to be in the first round. It's kind of scary to think about them even coming back. I mean, go take advantage of the opportunity that you have. First-round guy, go get your money. Go enjoy the NFL. I know you didn't like how the season went uh, in 2018, but, dude, you can always come back on your off weekend, your bye week, and come support <laughs> them, you know. Go get go get paid. Um, yeah, I mean, the last the last thing you really want is, is for Brian Burns to, to come back despite being a – potential first round selection and then either have a drop off in performance where scouts start to bypass them or suffer some sort of injury that you know affects his future so really you know it's smart when you have that guarantee to to go and get the money 
Yep. Moving on, I want to talk about a few guys that are expected um, that we need to keep an eye on that might be a transfer guy. We'll keep an eye on Juan Williams, uh, Zaquandre White, Amir Rasul, Keith Gavin, and George Campbell. Uh, we've got confirmation on our side of things that Alexander Marshall tight end, who we haven't seen any of the last two years, is uh, here to stay um, from his dad and... It's going to be, I mean, it's good for him, I guess. I mean, you've got still Trey McKitty out there and Nessier Upshur, who Upshur had a lot of playing time this season and produced um, a little bit. But, you know, Juan Williams, from what I've heard, is kind of like just please go type of thing. <laughs> uh, of course, from fans, but even a little bit inside the program there. But Zaquandre White, we know that he went from running back to linebacker. Uh, he's gained a little bit of size, too. Um, I don't really think him transferring would affect Florida State in a huge manner. And I think a talented running back like Amir Sewell, if he knows he's not going to be in the rotation for next season, then I'd like to see him at another team. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I could see all five of these guys really, really moving on if it came down to it. I mean, Juan Williams, it just really doesn't look like he's, he's built for this level despite his, his lofty uh, recruiting ranking coming out of high school. I think it'd, it'd be better for him to transfer maybe to like an FCS school or something like that to really get his confidence back because, you know, a season, a season where you're ranked as the worst offensive lineman in um, <clears throat> FBS football, that's that's not very good, and I'm sure he's he's reading that. He's seeing the criticism from everybody else, and I'm sure he's working as hard as he can to be good. It's just you know the talent isn't there. Let's, as for White, it's the it's more of the discipline things. You know, I don't know if Florida State wants to have a guy around like that that's always getting in trouble, uh, committing penalties on the field, and just just little things like that. I mean, you just can't have those type of players in your program. Rasul could grad transfer and start right away rather than sitting behind <clears throat> Akers and LeBorn next year because, I mean, he's not going to start. And then, you know, Gavin and Campbell, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. It's time for those young receivers to start getting reps. And, you know, both of those guys haven't produced in the manner that they were expected to when they were recruited. And it'd be, you know, it'd be good for them to move on and maybe get a shot to play somewhere else as well. Mm. Sometimes... Sometimes the grass is uh, greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Jimmy McGillum, Jimmy McGillum, hopefully I'm saying that right. <laughs> I should know this, but one of our writers put out a piece this week noting a little bit of the offensive uh, rankings after the season. I'll, I'll quote his, a couple sentences here. Uh, he said, Out of 836 eligible offensive linemen in the country, the ones who wore the spear on their helmet this season ranked 836th. That's dead last for those of you that are keeping score at home. Other ones ranked up as 835, 827, 791, and then from there it goes 750, 547, 542, and 429. Uh, their best performer didn't even rank in the top half of all of the floor, uh, FBS players in the country. And yeah, another another thing I read was uh, Abdul Bello would have been the second worst offensive lineman in the country, but he didn't play quite enough snaps to qualify. <laughs> great, great <laughs> note there. Great <laughs> note. I'm sure that makes everybody excited. Really, <laughs> really feel like that was an awesome season <laughs> up front. So... Just a little bit of the notes, definitely talking about Juan Williams, but some of these guys moving forward, it's just going to be a big change around to be expected with Coach Frey there and uh, Willie Taggart. So that's pretty much our recap of the 2018 football season. Uh, and just, just kind of like, you know, it's weird now moving forward with, you know, we're usually expected to wait and see when Florida State's about to go to a bowl game. And now our focus is on, of course, as it should be, FSU soccer, and then also uh, men's basketball, women's basketball. But, you know, there's it's, it's a very strange time for FSU fans. It's been 36 years. 
But in my opinion, having something like this happen to the program at this time isn't a terrible thing. I think it's a wake-up call for the entire football program. I was kind of almost waiting for this to happen, not trying to be negative about things. But I was. it felt like this was about to come. I don't know about you, Dustin, but this is a wake-up call that was much needed inside that program. I feel like after the national championship, Florida State was already putting themselves up there as an Alabama team. And, of course, with the talent Florida State had during that team in 2013, there's a lot to uh, start feeling that way. But this is a wake-up call that has needed to be happened in Tallahassee for a while. And it happened. It's finally here. Um, Enjoy the other sports because there's a lot to like about them. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, FSU soccer is currently playing Stanford right now, who hasn't lost, what, 44 games and they're about to face them in the College Cup in the semifinals. So there's a lot of other sports other than football to, to support. And softball's coming up, which I'm absolutely excited to cover. And I know we'll have a lot to talk about that soon once their practices start going on. Um, and then there's also this thing called FSU basketball <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I'm sure fans are so like really excited to watch moving forward, and there's a lot of potential there. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout-out to Forrest uh, Bruton, one of our writers who's been doing our game day previews since we started the site, I believe, in 2014. Uh, happy birthday, man. Hope you're having a good time on your 18th birthday now i'm playing but uh i want to also wish you good luck you're a big detroit lions fan and i hope you enjoy the first two minutes of the la rams versus detroit lions this weekend should be a great game and i know i can't wait to uh flip the channel after a couple minutes but uh there's a shout out to him uh let's uh move on this is your area for expertise, Dustin, let's move on to the basketball talk. What you got for us, man? Give a little recap of the last. I'd say recap the last week, definitely with the AdvoCare uh, tournament. Yeah, I mean, for those who haven't heard, Florida State has a pretty good basketball team that's fine a little bit under the radar due to just, you know, how much football takes prominence over the rest of the sports in Tallahassee. But, you know, they start off the season, they, they defeated Florida – then they played a couple kind of kind of tune-up games before the uh, Advocare Invitational, which started on Thanksgiving night. They defeated UAB in the opening round. The next day, they um, defeated number 17 LSU after coming behind by nine in the second half and then knocking down a uh, three-pointer with half a second left. They got a really friendly bounce. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. The tournament uh, culminated with a matchup with Villanova, the defending national champions. And, I mean, it was a hard-fought game down down to the final uh, whistle. You know, Florida State, they were ahead by one point at halftime. They got they got down in the second half, and then they battled back to, to lose by six. And, I mean, you know, all, all 40 minutes this team fought. So that's really not a loss that you can um, – it's not a bad loss. You know, it's the defending national champs, basically. And they came back out on Wednesday night in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and beat number 19 Purdue. They also they ended the game on a 9-0 run. I think Florida State trailed by eight with uh, about four minutes left in the game. And, um, yeah, Trent Forrest down the stretch – really stepped up there impressive i believe i believe he's the guy he had played bad he had uh, not played well all night until it got down to those final couple minutes i believe he's the guy that forced the um the jump ball call they got the ball back to florida state and then obviously he hit that floater in the lane with 5.6 seconds left to secure the victory so you know with fsu basketball already being six and one this season they started out probably as well as you could have expected i don't think many people thought that they would uh, defeat Villanova. But there's still six games left in the non-conference schedule. They'll play five in December with the best team they match up against being um, probably UConn or um, when they play St. Louis on December 22nd in the Orange Bowl Classic. So, you know, really this team just has to uh, stay awake in December 
and defeat some some lesser teams they're going to be playing against, and they could uh, really be twelve and one when they enter ACC play. Wow. <laughs> but you kind of what's so fun to see now though is the support the team is getting and how the home team were you were at that game right correct uh, against Purdue and you got to yeah. see how the atmosphere was but seeing the respect they're being given and the support they're receiving is something that makes almost anybody in Tallahassee want to go and game I mean it's inside the atmosphere is fun you got a team that's really fun to watch there's a lot of big plays happening, and it seems like this team has so much fight in them that it's so positively exciting to move forward to looking at the uh, bracket. I mean, you go to March Madness, and you see how much teams have to uh, put in the work to win these games. And you look at the early parts of the season, and already seeing this effort being played is... Um, substantial and getting a good run postseason for sure yeah i mean it's really just uh it's a testament to leonard hamilton and um his staff because florida state's really picked up the recruiting in recent years i mean this this used to be a defensive minded team and it still is but it was a defensive minded team that had uh defensive players like guys that couldn't really produce much on offense and florida state's kind of changed that around to recruiting guys that can score the ball and then having them commit to playing defense. And that's, that's really been the big factor behind the turnaround of Florida state basketball over the last couple seasons. And it's, it's going to continue. They have a really good recruiting class coming in. Four players have already signed letters of intent. And then they're still in it for, uh, I believe the number three overall prospect in the country who's currently favoring Florida state because of how hard he's been recruited by this coaching staff. So they really put in the work, you know, on the court, off the court when it comes to recruiting, and it's it's paying off. And Phil Kofer has still not touched the court yet, which, what is that, maybe a week from now we'll see him back on the court, a week or minimum of two weeks, I'm sure. Could you imagine, how, or, or can't you wait to see, it's hard to wait to see how this team will <laughs> react whenever their lead scorer from last year is back on the court. So, I mean, <laughs> it kind of gets silly thinking about that, but it's something fun to be uh, mentally thinking about moving forward. Sorry, my cat is in the corner meowing, <laughs> and I can hardly think about what I'm saying. Golly, I don't even I'm losing my mind over here. But what are the all right? So five games in December that you said that they need to stay focused on, of course, is Troy, UConn. You highlighted South East Missouri State, North Florida, and then St. Louis. Um, and then their final game will be in January on January first against Winthrop. But what do you think with having Kofer being back? Only what is I mean? And of course, it helps a lot, but. How does his play really bring Florida State maybe away from these close games that shouldn't be there? I think it's a uh, it's a massive impact to have Phil Kofer coming back, just because he's really the he's the leader of this team. I mean, he's been here longer than any other guy on the roster. He was here when Florida State didn't make any tournament at all, so he's he's come from not making the NCAA tournament, not making the NIT tournament to make he made the the NIT in his second year. And then the last two years, they've uh, made the tournament. So, you know, it's really it's cool to see a player, you know, he, he experienced the lowest of lows with Florida State basketball. And then last year, you know, experienced the highs, high of highs, and he's hoping to do it again as a senior. So, but, you know, another thing is Florida State doesn't really have a, a lot of depth in the front court. I mean, they've got Kamaji, they've got um, <clears throat> Mifiondu, Kevin Gelly, they've got Raekwon Gray. But after that, they don't really have anything. You know, after um, Ike transferred, Ike Obiagu transferred to Seton Hall over the offseason. So, in Kofer, I really feel like you get a guy who can play inside, he can play outside. He's probably going to be the best rebounder on this team. He's a good defender. I mean, he's the, he's the prototypical forward that you want in this era of basketball. A guy that can score it from deep and then also play strong defense, play down low, and get physical. So having him back, as long as he stays healthy, this team could be very, very good. And just to end it off, too, to top it off, 
You wrote about it today, the early projections for the March Madness bracket. Where are they currently at right now? Right now, um, most of the major services are slotting Florida State in as a four or five seed. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of potential for that to change over the season for the better or the worse. I really do think if they would have defeated Villanova, we'd be seeing Florida State projected as like a three seed right now. But it's going to come down to, to conference play. If this team can get 12 wins, if they go 12-4 and four in conference play, I really do think you're looking at, you know, a number a number three, number four seed if they if they win 12 games in conference play and then make it to the semifinals or win the ACC championship. Wow. Something... And last season, sorry, no, no, last season they um they made that elite eight run as as a number 9 seed. So really every every game they played in March last year, they were kind of the underdog. So it'll be interesting seeing the tables kind of turn where they're going to be favored in a lot of games. Something Florida State fans should have excitement about for the next couple months to forget the 2018 football season like it never happened. That's all. <laughs> that's all I heard from you speaking in the last ten minutes about it. <laughs> so we'll definitely have a lot more podcasts coming out recapping a lot of these basketball games, and of course with softball coming up, we'll have Haley on here to cover that, and then also baseball later on in the spring. The podcast will not stop. We'll keep on giving you guys some coverage and give you our thoughts on it. We'll hope to hope to have Ryan back on here for the next episode. As always, thank you guys so much for listening this season. It means a lot to us. This is our second year doing it. We had um, uh, Peter Work on uh, for the Miami game, and then we had Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward on to help preview the Virginia Tech game. Uh, it was amazing having them on. We hope to have them on for next season. Uh, hopefully we'll have some basketball guys on as some guests to help give their uh, score predictions for upcoming ACC play. Uh, we got a few guys right now that are definitely wanting to uh, come on and talk some FSU hoops as we speak. So there's some uh, definitely exciting things to think of moving forward with Hear the Spear. Uh, if you haven't, definitely feel free to subscribe uh, to whichever program you're using. We're on iTunes, Google Play, even on SoundCloud too. And I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I'll make sure to look into it after our college finals are over. But we definitely want to get on Spotify to give you guys some easier access to listening. This is Dustin and Dustin Lewis and Logan Robinson signing off. Thank you guys again for listening, and we'll see you guys uh, in the next episode. Diving off the stage in the crowd, it's a mosh pit.